if you're not absolutely certain why you're going to college, well, then let me just do a little math for you. Let's assume that you're spending $40,000 a year to go to college and you have to borrow some of that. Room and board and everything, that's about $160,000. You could literally walk out almost anywhere today and work in an apprenticeship for a carpenter, a plumber, an electrician, a machinist, a welder, a steel mill, anywhere, and make at least 40000 day one. So you do that for four years, you're on the positive side, 160000 From the suburbs of Charm City, Baltimore, Maryland, welcome to Pelham Place. Casual conversations with some of the most interesting people in the world whose stories and experiences will help you live, learn, and grow. Here's your host, Jay Pelham. Ken Rusk has spent over three decades working in blue-collar trades, starting out as a ditch digger and working his way up to become a successful entrepreneur and, more importantly, a mentor who made it a life mission to hire, train, and coach first-time job seekers, especially those without college degrees, how to become successful in blue-collar trades. More recently, Ken authored the book, Blue Collar Cash, and is now sharing his years of knowledge and wisdom with the rest of us. Ken, thanks for being here. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Absolutely. Hey, I want to get right into it. Uh, I was uh, reading the book and I'm actually I've I've actually switched over to the audio book now. Just easier for me to uh, to do it while I'm commuting back and forth to work. But one thing that stood out just immediately when I opened the book is in the dedication of uh, your book, Blue Collar Cash, you thank your wife, Nancy. And uh, in that paragraph, you mentioned that you met in your high school lunchroom and that you were glad that your birthdays are on the same day. And who knows what would have been. So tell me more about this. Did you guys meet on your birthdays? What's the significance of, of that? Well, it's, it's, it's real simple. And thank you for asking that question. Um, I don't get asked that much, so it's, it's fun to talk about. But um, yeah, so Nancy worked at a pizza shop where my best friend worked. And uh, in order for me to get my best friend off of work where we could go out and watch a movie or go do whatever kids did back in the day, um, I used to have to help him close the pizza shop. And one of the ways to do that was to fold pizza boxes because they needed a bunch of pizza boxes for the next day. So I would sit there and help the staff fold pizza boxes. And one of the staff was Nancy. So I kind of had my eye on her through high school and everything else. And, and, and uh, even, even in the job that she was working. And, and uh, so we were just sitting there talking one day and I said, what are you doing this weekend? And she said, well, it's my birthday. So I'm going out on Saturday night. And I said, well, that's funny because it's my birthday too. Well, of course, she didn't believe that for a minute. And uh, so she made me prove it. And um, the unfortunate thing was I didn't have my driver's license because I was such a good driver. I had lost my license <laughs> early as, as a young guy with a lot of speeding tickets. So I literally had to drive all the way home and, and have my mother dig out my birth certificate so I could run back to the restaurant and prove to her that my birthday was the same as hers. And I said, if I prove this to you, you have to go out on a date with me. And she said, okay, fine. Cause she didn't think there was any chance I was going to come back with that proof, but 
I did. And that's the end of that. So, <laughs> or the beginning of that, I should say. That's a great story. That is, it, yeah, it just, it jumped out at me immediately when I, when I opened the book and uh, I thought there had to be more to that. That's, that's great. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so look, you, uh, this book came out in probably what could have been the worst time for a book to come out. Um, you know, we were in such a weird, uncertain time. How does how does blue collar cash help entrepreneurs these days um, in growing and in helping the next generation of blue collar workers get through this? Well, great, great question. So it came out last, the end of July, and um, they're actually going to kind of re-release it uh, in, in, uh, at the end of, of July this year. And obviously, it was a very strange time. But one of the things that it did is it, it kind of, that pandemic and the whole, the whole um, atmosphere of us staying home and having to be in our homes uh, it kind of created this incredible demand for fixing up your house, repairing your house, improving your house, altering your house, adding on to your house, and, and, a, and a host of other things. So it was kind of a silver lining for the blue collar industry because while nobody wants a pandemic to happen, it created this huge su supply and demand issue when it came to you know doing these types of jobs. So um, for me personally, uh, it was, it, it, there, there's never been a better time than, than now and, and to start your own business. And I, I think the interesting thing was this pandemic just really exacerbated an already boiling pot of, of, um, of supply and demand imbalances when it came to blue collar workers. So if nothing else, it just exposed for a lot of people, you know, holy cow, I can make a whole lot of money and I can have a whole a great life by doing something with my hands. And so for me, um, as, as I was getting the book out there, it just kind of like, it, it kind of poured fuel on the fire of, of, uh, of, of an already challenging situation, but one that you could take advantage of if you were willing to get out there and do it. So it, it, it was really an opportunity for, for the blue collar industry, uh, for the trades to, to, um, you know, not necessarily take advantage, but but really build on um, the fact that there was such an interest in those types of projects over the pandemic. Um, the reason I asked that question first, because I want to get into your history a little bit, but the reason I asked that question first is because, you know, I know for people who uh, lost their jobs or or were in um, really worse situations that really became the pandemic became an emergency for them. Um, and, and I think one thing that, um, that I'd love for you to tell us is sort of your story. Um, because I know you didn't have an easy, uh, childhood. Um, I know you, you had, uh, some bullying and, uh, and some surgeries some, that you had to deal with as well as uh, some road bumps in your adult life uh, for your family. And, you know, I think that's really important because uh, those are emergencies. Those are things that, you know, uh, 
you're if you're not prepared for can can just totally uproot everything that you're you're living for on a daily basis. And so I think that's really important and and relevant to what a lot of people experience during the pandemic. Um, so can tell us a little bit about that, your your history, your past and how you how you moved through all of that to where you are today. Well, you know, one of the things I write about in the book is there's a there's a section that talks about um, I've never built a skyscraper before, but if I did, I would have to do this step first. And I've never built a skyscraper before, but if I did, I'd have to do this step next. Like I'd have to find land and then I'd have to find a designer and I'd have to find an architect and an engineer. I'd have to find a supplier. So the bottom line is it, it, it forces you to think your way through doing something that you've never done before. And I think that's a, a really good way to, to tackle anything, especially like you said, the challenges that you face. I mean, for me, yeah, I was bullied a little bit because of the way I looked, you know, my facial deformities and whatever. And, um, you know, I just decided, okay, well, I'm not going to live with this. So I decided to use self-deprecating humor um, to get past it. And from that point forward, it just kind of launched me into this socialization thing, which I was it was new and, and, and new and different to me because I was kind of a shy kid based on what, what happened there. So I just kind of use that as that's my strength. You know, we all have gifts and we all have our strengths. We just have to find them. So for me, it was the ability to, to make people laugh and to, to again, to, to not be afraid to crack on myself a little bit. And I just got past all that to the point where that became a, a new social thing for me. And, and I kind of took that to the next level throughout any position that I ever had um, in my life. Uh, you know, from, like you said, starting ditch, digging ditches when I was 15 uh, to moving up within the company and doing some, some production management and some foreman stuff and then field supervisor stuff and then on to some of the marketing inside the company. And, you know, I think those things... You know, if, if, if you're not afraid to do something you've never done before, okay, you know, you're talking about courage and faith and persistence and resilience and all that stuff, then it really prepares you for what life throws at you. And I can tell you that, yeah, when, when Nicole got sick, that was one that, that was the biggest skyscraper I had ever even imagined that I would have to get over or build. And, uh, but it really prepared me to say, okay, I'm going to get through this one step at a time. I'm going to talk to this doctor. I'm going to start this big book that I had that, that was full of uh, communications between slews of doctors and, and labs and you know uh, oncologists and everything else. And we just took it one day at a time and we got through it. I'm happy to say she's very healthy today and, um, and she's thriving. But um, those are scary moments. And I, I just think you know, within each one of us, we have the character traits that entrepreneurs need to be successful. We just have to let them out of our closet, if you will. You know, it, it's, it's like it's those, those character traits are kind of like, they're kind of like hidden in our sock drawer behind the socks we haven't worn in a long time. We just have to get them out. And, and all you need is a reason, Jay, and it's, it's all over with. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me, how do you I mean, obviously, there's a lot of of pain and heartbreak and struggle that you deal with internally uh, in those situations. But 
how does one prepare for that financially? How, I mean, there's obviously a, uh, you know, when we talk about those emergencies, those are, you know, make or break moments for, uh, for guys who, you know, maybe don't manage their finances the way they should. And it only takes one thing to come up. Um, how, what do you, what do you teach your guys? What do you teach, uh, you know, employees that, that you hire to, to prepare for those moments? Well, you know, first off, it, it all starts at the very beginning because, you know, they say old habits are hard to break. Right. Uh, but, but habits are formed over time. So one of the things that we say, and it's, it's, it's kind of a, a, a neat sidebar, but when I offer somebody $40,000 a year to work at our company, I'll say to them, here, um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay you $40,000 to work here, and um, I hope you don't mind earning $37,000. And they'll say to me, well, I thought you just said forty, And I said, I did, and it is. But the first $3,000 that you make, we're going to put into a 401k for you, um, and, and we're going to match that for a, qu- a quarter on every dollar that you put in there. So in a sense, I'm, I'm, I'm telling them that the most important bill that they'll ever pay is themselves first. And b- because just like you said, things are going to come up, things are going to happen. And you need to have the discipline to say, well, I never really had the 40,000. I only had 37. So I'm spending my money based on 37. I, I can't I can't miss what I never had. So if, if I'm living on 37 and not on 40, that 40 just disappears. It's somewhere in my bank account. I don't I don't I don't I know where it is, but I don't really control it. I'm not I don't really have access to it. And it kind of forces you to to set yourself up financially for the long term. Most people don't know this, and this is the most unbelievable fact. This is one of those things that I wish I had known when I was 21. You can start saving money when you're 21 years of age at $60 a week. If you do that for 10 years, you can stop saving at the age of 31. And by the time you retire in your 401k, you'll have more than a million dollars. So that is a, that's something that most people are shocked about when they hear. First off, most people would say, well, I'm just going to keep on saving. Why would I stop? But if you think about it, uh, we need to teach our young people to, to think about the future when they're young, because most of us start thinking about that when we're 35, 40 years of age, and it's way too late from a money over time standpoint at that point. Exactly. And, you know, you think about it now, $60 a week for, for a student may seem like a lot, but by the time they reach that age of 31, they're probably putting more than that into their 401k and right. not even realizing it. So that that's just an extra million dollars sitting in the pot somewhere. Well, and how cool would it be for you to be 21 years of age? And, you know, we have what we call here, we have the millionaire club. So how cool would it be to be 21 years of age? You're sitting at the bar having a beer with your buddies and you're like, yeah, my retirement's handled. I don't even have to think about it anymore. I mean, yep. that that's a pretty big, you know, chip off of your shoulder that you don't have to carry anymore knowing that, yeah, that's kind of handled. As long as I just forget about it and I'm disciplined and I do my thing, I, I can't miss what I never had to spend. So, that, and, and, you know, that also offers you the opportunity to, to, to start parallel savings accounts for other things like vacations and Christmas funds. And, you know, we'll get into this, but in my opinion, living a life of anticipation over many goals is the only way to live. And, um, 
that's one way that you can do it. And, and there's your comfort, peace and freedom right there. Definitely. Definitely. So you just mentioned all the, the little dreams, all the little goals that, that people are reaching for. And I know you, you addressed this early on uh, when you're hiring. Take me, f- take me through the first few minutes of your, your interview process. Well, that's real simple. My first question is, why are you here? And they look at you like, well, I'm I'm here for a job because you had an end the paper or whatever. And I say, yeah, okay. So, but why are you here? Well, because I need work. Uh, Okay. So why do you need work? Well, I need to make some money. Okay. Money for what? Well, I've got bills to pay. Okay. So you got, you need money for your bills. Okay. What's past that? Like if you didn't have any more bills, then what? Well, then they start to look up at the ceiling and they think, well, someday I'd like to have this. And I'm like, okay, now we're on to something. Because in, in my opinion, and, and in, in this environment, you know, the, the employees have kind of a what's in it for me to work here attitude. And that's okay. A lot of, a lot of hire, people who hire would be like put off by that. Like, I am boss, you are employee. How could you ask me that question? But I embrace that because... As an employer, if you can answer the question, why, what's in it for me to work here, you're going to have yourself a long-term dedicated employee who you're not going to have to manage a whole lot because he or she has these goals that they're after and they have nothing to do with you, which is the best way you can have it because those people are selfish in a good way and we call those entrepreneurial employees and that's just the way to, uh, to, to build a staff of people that are all rowing in the same direction. And they're all building their own skyscrapers without even realizing it. Exactly. That's awesome. That is awesome. So with so much debate today with the national student debt crisis and this mindset that every kid needs to go to college when they get out of high school, um, Obviously, that's not the case. Um, there are, are kids who um, are, are young people that can succeed right out of college. Um, there are obviously jobs available that you can do right out of college and make very good money, a very good career out of it. What do you tell young people today who are just starting out? Uh, you know, maybe they're getting ready to graduate from high school. And they haven't haven't really made that decision yet. They they're not sure if they're going to go to college, but they don't know what career field they want to go in. How do what do you what do you tell them? My my biggest goal is just to make sure that people are aware of all their options. Okay, I'm not an anti college guy. You know, if if um if you're going to operate on my knee to get me back on the golf course, I'm going to want you to know everything there is to know before you take that knife out. If you're managing people's money, or if you're engineering a building, or if you're if you're teaching somebody something, yeah, you're going to want to need to know everything that there is to know in order to make those things happen in a, in a good and quality way. I get that. What I'm saying is. I, I'm, I'm just not a college is for everybody type of guy. And, and I, I, the reason is, is because, you know, history tells us if there's 170 million people, give or take, working in the United States at any one time, about 70 million of those people are doing something with their hands. So, you know, I'm talking carpenters, plumbers, electricians, policemen, you know, uh, machinists, bakers and hairdressers and all these types of things. So if we start pushing everybody through school, 
then we are creating our own supply and demand problem. But that is a boon to people who are willing to go out and work with their hands because now, if you know anything about supply and demand from high school, you know, where supply is low, demand is high, and that's where the wages go. So if, if you're thinking of it this way, if you're not absolutely certain why you're going to college, well, then let me just do a little math for you. Let's assume that you're spending $40,000 a year to go to college and you have to borrow some of that. Room and board and everything, that's about $160,000. You could literally walk out almost anywhere today and work in an apprenticeship for a carpenter, a plumber, an electrician, a machinist, a, a welder, a steel mill, anywhere, and make at least 40000 day one. So you do that for four years, you're on the positive side, 160000 So in four short years, you have a $320,000 net positive swing in your asset base. So that's enough to buy your first house. That's enough to build, start funding a 401k, maybe buy a car, get your life started. All I'm saying is let's step back and take a look at the reality of that, that system and make sure that we're not just, you know, following the, the, uh, you know, the stables because they're leading us in that direction without any real feel for what's going to happen on the other side. Absolutely. You know, one thing that you talk about in your book, and it's a, uh, a major theme throughout the book, is CPNF. Tell us, tell us about the importance of CPNF. What is it and, and why is it so important? You know, um, a long time ago, I met a guy who uh, I met him at a club med. We were, we were there vacationing with my staff from the office. And this guy had been there, you know, when you go to Club Med, you get these wristbands and the wristband has a color and that color tells you, uh, it tells the staff when that person arrived and when they're leaving. So they know who's, who uh, is just coming and who needs help and who's been there a while and who doesn't. So we met this guy and he had about seven of these wristbands on. And so at one point after seeing him there for a few days at the bar, I was like, hey, you know, tell me about all the wristbands. And he goes, oh, that's real simple. I've been here for seven weeks and I'm going to go somewhere else next week. So I, I, I travel around and I hit all these club meds for eight weeks a year. And I looked at him and I said, you're kidding me. And I said, how do you pull that off? He goes, well, I have a small landscaping business in Minnesota. I have all my equipment. It's all put away. I maintained it all through December and January. And now here I am taking February and March off. And then I'll go back to work in April and start that process all over again. And he was just a very calm and comfortable and peaceful kind of guy. So he set his level of comfort, peace, and freedom to where his perfect nirvana was. He wanted to work really hard during the summer and take two months a year off and travel the world in the winter. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty amazing setup. So I kept coming back to the words comfort, peace, and freedom as I was writing this book, which, which actually started out as a letter to my daughter when she got sick about what I thought was important in life. Like, what should you really be chasing in life? And I came back to the same thing. If, if you have this triangle of comfort, peace, and freedom, which are all these inter- dependent type of concepts, what it really means is if you could design your own nirvana, like your own perfect life, 
what exactly would that look like? Because we're not all going to go after, you know, mega yachts and mansions and 15 cars. I know a lot of rich people who are miserable. So everyone has their own level of what they think they want their life to look like. I suggest that you draw that, you document it, you review it regularly, and just let that be your world and then go get it. So the hard work leads to the comfort, peace, and freedom. How can just Joe Public, how, how can we all uh, increase our potential earnings, achieve our goals, and, and find our own comfort, peace, and freedom? It starts with the drawing, and we call it like a, a life drawing. So whether you're single or married, you need to sit down in a real quiet place. You need to get yourself a poster board and a box of good old-fashioned Crayola crayons, okay? Maybe the 64 box because you get more colors that way. And you just need to sit down and draw what you want your life to look like. Are you a pet person? And if so, are you a dog or a cat person? And if so, what kind of dog, what color, and what would you name it? Are you a, 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 a car person or a pickup truck person or a minivan person or an electric car person, or you want to ride the bus, okay? Um, are you a house in the country person? Are you a condo in the city person? Are you an apartment person or a suburb person? Draw that out. How do you see yourself in your charity giving? I mean, are you a person that wants to give to charity with your own efforts or you want to give your money or whatever? What type of scenario would you see yourself giving back to the community? Your hobbies, are you a golfer? Are you a kayaker? Are you a, a jogger? Draw that all out and, and keep working on this just like you would a very complicated puzzle where you do the edges first and you keep working towards the center because your goal is to get this picture drawn very clearly of what you want your life to look like. And then that will require you to obtain a certain level of income. So in other words, we don't work to live, okay? I'm sorry, we don't live to work, we work to live. And, and I, I think that's, you gotta get the live first, the live part first, and then figure out what it's gonna take to get there because there's so many opportunities out there for you to make more money. And you just have to see, well, how, how much am I being driven by my life vision and how aggressively do I need to go after it that way? Absolutely. I want to switch gears a little bit um, and talk about something that I see all the time in in uh, the trades. And, uh, you know, like you said, during the pandemic, um, I had a ton of projects. Um, I had a had a few emergencies we had to deal with. Uh, you know, we at, at one point we had to uh, to have the HVAC guys out and uh, had some electricians out Um and one thing I realized is that cust I, I find that the trade workers give the best customer service. I can walk into a department store. I can walk into a restaurant. I can go to any other variety of business, but I always find that when I've got, when I've got a guy in my house working on a job, they're, they're the nicest, they're the politest, they, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time they're given a hundred percent customer service. Is, is there something that 
happens in the, the learning process that is taught to these guys, um, you know, when they're first coming on to the jobs that, that instills this in them, or is this really just something that, uh, that business owners are looking for from day one, or is it a mix? Well, let me answer that with an analogy. Okay. If, if you are a professional golfer, but you're not one of the top, top guys, you're like a grinder. You're like a journeyman golfer. Okay. You're out there every weekend. If you don't play well, you don't get paid. It's just that simple. You're not like a, a basketball player or a football player who has this huge contract and whether he plays well or not, he still gets paid. Okay. So contractors have this thing where everything is your fault, just like a golfer. If I hit a good shot, it's my fault. If I hit a bad shot, it's my fault. I've got nobody to take responsibility for any of that but myself. And I think contractors are the same way. You know, we have something called the standback moment. And that is where you are controlling a process from A to Z. You're starting to build this outdoor kitchen out of this beautiful stone. And you do that, you build the walls, you build the top, you put the grill in, you do everything. And then you get to stand back and look at that and go, wow, I did that. That's 100% my effort. I controlled the input. I controlled the output. I controlled the quality. And therefore, I control the income. And I think that's pretty rare when it comes to uh, positions in office buildings where you're on the 16th floor of some office building in a cubicle and you don't have any idea where you fit in the process of this whole machine that is your company that you work for. So I, I agree with you. They give great customer service because it's on them to keep going. They, they don't have huge marketing budgets to keep jobs coming in the back door, whether they work well or not. So I, I think there's a little bit of that whole, you know, self-made kind of thing that, uh, that causes that, that great customer service. And I agree with you. That's absolutely true. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I see it every day. I mean, anytime we, uh, you know, anytime we call a, a company to come into our home and, you know, even talking to, to other associates of mine, it, you know, it, you just can't find better customer service than, than yeah. in the trades. It's amazing. It really is. That is true. The book is uh, Blue Collar Cash, Love Your Work, Secure Your Future, and Find Happiness in Life, or Find Happiness for Life. Uh, Ken Rusk, uh, it was great talking to you today. I think uh, that, that there's uh, some great lessons to be learned in the book and uh, you know, can, can be used as a learning tool for, for young people, as well as current business owners, current leaders today um, to grow their businesses. So I thank you very much for uh, for being with me today, and uh, I just want to tell us, uh, you know, where can people find you? Uh, learn more about you. Uh, obviously, the book is available uh, wherever books are sold, um, but but where can they contact you? Where can where can people get in touch? Well, you can go to KenRusk.com, and you can also follow us on Ken Rusk Official on Facebook, where we talk a lot about different occupations and what's available out there. Um, I think the most important thing to tell you is that, um, I, you know, I, I did this as my give back moment. Okay. Um, I didn't do this to make money. And so I donate all the proceeds from my book to causes like make a wish and junior achievement and those types of things that help young people to get out of the challenges that they're in. So, um, yeah, you can buy it anywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Apple books, iBooks, you know, um, indie books, any of those places. So, um, if you're supporting the book, you're actually supporting somebody else, which is, which is really good. 
Awesome. That's that's really cool. Again, the name of the book is Blue Collar Cash. Love your work, secure your future, and find happiness for life. Ken Rusk, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Pelham Place. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links and resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends, family, and social circles. You can find Pelham Place on Instagram and Facebook at Pelham Place Show. And don't forget to subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, be kind and do good.